0: Welcome to Scaling Impact, where we decode how entrepreneurs are harnessing the power of the UN Sustainable Development Goals to create remarkable and impactful businesses that drive transformation on a global and local human scale. We explore how sustainability is elevating our human consciousness and catalyzing us to create within constraints. We decipher why now is the biggest entrepreneurial opportunity since the dawn of industrialization and what leaders and entrepreneurs can do to harness the winds of change. I'm Anders orman global futurist, EO Sydney impact champion and father, and your co-host with Lisa Andrews, for Scaling Impact. Welcome to EO Sydney's global podcast Scaling Impact where we sit down with leaders and EO members around the world who are doing amazing things channeling their creativity their innovation into specific UN Sustainable Development Goals and uh, on today's show I've got the great privilege to introduce Christina Gerakides. Great to have you on Scaling Impact today, Christina.
1: Thank you so much, Anders. It's an absolute honour and a pleasure to be here. Now, I'm
0: going to just give a few words on, on pedigree here. We're going to firmly talk and sort of position today's dialogue within the UN Sustainable Development Goal number 10 around reduced inequalities, which is a deep passion topic of yours. Um, I do just want to frame up the conversation here because our paths have sort of crossed both as you know Sydney members but also in the world of singularity University, etc., exponential technologies, all the rest. So, let me just give a few words here on, on pedigree before we launch into the conversation, Christina. So, Christina Gerakides, and I've just learned the uh, fantastic Greek pronunciation, is the founder of Utopia X, which is a business with a focus on creativity and innovation. She is also the Singularity U international expert and Singularity U Australia primary global ambassador and this is really cool, in my world as a futurist. She's a sought after speaker, a facilitator, a program designer, creating interactive educational experiences driven by design thinking, purpose engagement, and very, very importantly, play. She has created highly customized programs for clients, including Deloitte, IAG, Bupa, Employment Hero, and of course, the Entrepreneurs' Organization. So Christina, a second welcome to the show here. Thank you so much. It's
1: interesting hearing that come back at you, let me tell you sometimes. So
0: reduced inequalities. I just think we're sitting here virtually in 2022, in September, uh, Sydney, Australia, broadcasting, of course, globally. And we look at things like migration, uh, refugees, the Ukraine crisis. We've got the oil crisis. The renewed oil and energy crisis in the world. We're hearing about inflation and the cost of energy around Europe, for example, skyrocketing. There's Goldman Sachs saying that most Europeans will pay 200% on top of their energy bills this winter compared to what they did in 2021. Uh, inequalities sort of stamped all over some of these things that are happening globally. So I'm I'm curious, what's going on in the world, Christina? How do the UN Sustainable Development Goals play into it? And, and what's your passion around this idea of reducing inequality?
1: So I think I'm very passionate about um, SDG number 10, Reduced Inequalities, because it covers... So many, Anders. So if we think about it, reduced inequalities happen in SDG number four, for example, education. They happen in number six, clean water and sanitation. Number one, poverty. They they happen across, uh, you know, gender inequality. They happen across all the SDGs. And- confession, I've been a bit of a generalist my whole life. I absolutely soak up knowledge from everywhere. And I think that's why my passion in particular for SDG number 10, because it's not its not just a narrow, narrow field. And I've come across some absolutely remarkable, amazing individuals and organizations that are making huge dents in the universe, not just a dent in the universe, but huge dents uh, in the universe. So I, th- I think my passion grows out of people that I've connected with. And, and so right now there's an organization called My Baba's Promise. They um, work with refugees from Afghanistan. They're just in the process of bringing an enormous number of people um, into the country, women, children, uh, and and men this time into the country from Afghanistan. Absolutely, conditions that, that you know, uh, from our privileged backgrounds and our, our privileged lifestyles, we have no idea what they're suffering. Maboba has fed hundreds of thousands of people. She made a promise as an individual woman uh, to make a difference to her country when she came to Australia, and she has not stopped doing that. She's opened girls' schools, for example. So you know, there, there again, we've got refugees coming in, we've got poverty, we've got education, all wrapped up in this one woman's effort to help the people of her of her home uh, nation. She started a school that, for girls. Um, and the high school component got closed down by the Taliban last August. They're in the process of trying to open it. She is relentlessly working to make life better for so many people and reducing inequalities in that regard. So many stories like that absolutely inspire me. So if I can become involved in, and contribute in some small way um, to what they're doing, then that gives me a, a much greater sense of purpose, uh, and if I can alert people. so what you know, I, I love to think that part of my remit here on this planet is to enable the enablers. And the more enablers that that find out information that that understand what other people are going through, um, then the more the better the difference that we can make in the world.
0: Fantastic. And so, in terms of how this fits into your, world of entrepreneurship i'm curious are these uh, are these projects that you get you know involved in from a sort of social enterprise perspective from a philanthropic perspective like how, how does this fit within the utopia x universe or any other businesses that are you are involved in at the moment So
1: I'm very fortunate in in some of the keynotes, for example, that I do. I might go and do a a keynote in moonshot thinking and somebody from the audience will come and have a conversation about the the dents they're making in the universe. You know, and when I say dents, they can be huge dents. They're not necessarily you know, little little smidges. Uh, so I'm very fortunate in that way. And then in that way, I'm also able to enable the enablers. So when we talk about moonshot thinking, we might talk about something um, as simple as pulling water out of thin air. And I've got a beautiful example uh, of an organisation that is based in India that actually does that. They've got a machine, they've made a machine that pulls water out of thin air. There's organisations that through my association with Singularity U, um, XPRIZE, for example, They've done remarkable things in education. So SDG number four, they did an X Prize in education. You had to be able to to create an app that allowed people in or children in third world countries to to reach basic numeracy and basic literacy in eighteen months, just using your app, no adult intervention. There were some um, keyboards, to, not keyboards, sorry, uh, devices donated. So Bill Gates donated. I think it was five thousand devices. They only gave two and a half thousand out because they knew that um that they would kind of need replacing. One adult was involved in the project, and that one adult was in charge of solar charging the devices at the end of each day. There was a ten million dollars x prize, and if you if you ticked the goals, ticked the outcomes at the end, and these children had basic numeracy and literacy skills at the end, then you received part of that money. So I think things like that. I bring into my work all the time. And if people know what's going on, then they're not so daunted about being able to make, um, you know, those, they're not daunted by wanting to contribute or to finding a cause or or whatever it is um, that they're passionate about. And so one of the actions that we ask people to take, particularly when we talk about SDGs, particularly when we talk about um, impact and the impact that we can have, is to find a cause Go and have a look at all the SDGs. There's 17 of them. Each of the 17 have sub-targets. Go and have a look and and knock off a tiny little bit um, of the sub-target. You know, I like to say that the ocean is made up of a lot of tiny droplets of water, but when those tiny droplets of water come together and form an ocean or a lake or a huge wave, you know, the power and the force behind that is absolutely incredible. So if we band together and join forces like that, then, then we can have an impact and we can Greatly contribute to reducing the inequalities that are everywhere. Whether it's around age, whether it's around um, sex, whether it's around ethnicity, whatever the topic is, where there's a, some aspect of reduced inequality, we can make a difference. You know, I saw Grace Tame the other day at, at a at a breakfast, and her her final words were, "Make a noise." You know, so if we all made this little noise or took these little actions, the world would become an even better place. So yes. I agree with all the things you said um, at the beginning. There's so many things happening in the world right now, so many causes, everybody, that you can actually become involved with. You know, we were in we became involved also we've got we've got SU colleagues in the Ukraine and they put the call out. So very quickly there was a a group got together um, and started selling the artworks from the children that you know they they would have um some of their drawings, five, six, four-year-olds doing drawings. One of the groups created NFTs around those. We auctioned them off. We sold them in that way. Then there was a call out uh, because so many of the of the children were losing limbs, you know, in in the bombs, and and the soldiers were losing limbs. And there was a call out. What can we do um, as far as prosthetics and things like that went? So, you know, the call went out to SU. Peter's involved with an organisation in the UK. Uh, who do you think
0: that yeah, I'm going to take just a step backwards here because there's, so, there's so much gold here, right? So I'm going to decode a few things and then ask for your deciphering of, of some of these terms, etc. I think, you know, there's a bunch of EO listeners here, lots of entrepreneurs globally that we are broadcasting to today. They're familiar, maybe on the surface at least, with Singularity University. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment to define Singularity University, just give a little bit of context of that. Um, Then if we can talk a little bit about what moonshots are, because that's sort of real singularity uh, terminology. Uh, A quick reference for our international viewers as well and listeners to to Grace Tame. Uh, And then uh, fourthly, I'm going to ask you about NFTs and how they're playing a role in uh, in reducing inequality. So I've captured a few little bits there. Um, Firstly, Singularity University before we go to moonshots.
1: So Singularity University is all about using exponential technology um, to, ha- to, to target humanity's grand challenges. We used to have um, 12 global grand challenges. We are now more closely aligned with the SDGs. And I did an interesting exercise probably 12 to 18 months ago where I mapped the global grand challenges around the SDGs and they all fit in at some place beautifully. Um, so whether we talk in terms of grand challenges or whether we talk in terms of SDGs What the outcome is, is to make the world a better place. So, number one. Number two, what's a moonshot? Is that okay for number one? Yeah,
0: all good. And so Singularity University, uh, still located uh, or uh, centred around NASA, is it? And uh, initiative by Peter Diamandis. You referred to Peter and Ray Kurzweil uh, originally? Correct.
1: Yeah, so uh, we're kind of working from home uh, these days, as is most of the world um, after COVID. So NASA um, is
0: no longer needed. No,
1: but what a great place it was to go and have meetings at and run executive programs. Uh, and NASA has actually been taken over by another organisation now who are using it as their headquarters. So that, that singularity, you, using technology to scale exponentially, so very much involved in high-end technology. Moonshots, so prior to becoming involved um, with SU, I used to run what's called pie in the sky um, or big open cloud workshops. When I joined SU, I adopted their terminology, which was moonshots. And a moonshot is just that. It's taken from JFK and the famous speech he made where he said, we're going to put a man on the moon. And everybody went, we're going to what? <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, and you know, so that's where the terminology came from. And then Google adopted uh, the Moonshot and and the Moonshot terminology as well. They've, they've actually changed it a little bit now. I think they're Google X now or they're just X actually. Uh, so um, Moonshot is striving to make something possible that you never actually thought was possible uh, but trying to figure out how you're gonna get there. So if you think about JFK going, we're gonna put a man on the moon, yes, there had been space travel, um, but they hadn't put a man on the moon yet. So how they were gonna deal with the oxygen factors, with the breathing, with apparatus, with gravitational pull, so many physics and algorithms and everything wrapped up into that. So how they actually got there and how they did all the calculations and the success of that whole project. And now we've, you know, this year we've put two spaceships on Mars. So, or last year, sorry, we put two spaceships on Mars. So a moonshot is knowing that you want to do something, but you have absolutely no idea how you're going to get there. So flying pig, pie in the sky, whatever you want to call it. It's that big dream, and then the incremental steps that you may need to take in order to get there. So that's number two. Do you want to remind me what number three was?
0: Grace Tame.
1: Okay. So Grace Tame is a voice for sexual abuse, sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, and she has been absolutely vilified by some people um, for the work that she's doing. She's 27, I think. Uh, and Australian she- of the Year. Australian of the Year last year, yep. 2021. And, and she was the one that was responsible for naming the perpetrator. So she actually has brought to light the fact that why shouldn't the perpetrators be named? Uh, and that, that's one of the things. But she is working relentlessly now uh, to have a voice, to give other people a voice. Uh, and to ask people to do exactly that, and make a noise. So, if you go and have a look at the remarkable work that she's doing, she actually has uh, she has a lot of haters, which I find, um, and this is this is her. You know, this is coming from her the other day. Uh, which is totally bizarre, um, but she is doing remarkable things and freeing up a lot of not just women but men as well. So she's given everybody a voice in that sexual abuse, sexual harassment arena, and she very much made a point um, that it's not just happening to women. She said there was one in it was happening to one in four women, one in six boys, which means that one in five people in Australia. Um, have suffered some kind of sexual abuse. So those figures are quite horrifying. So she's bringing attention to all of that.
0: And a real voice for reducing inequality in in, in that very, very important space. Um, and I can imagine that she's ruffling one or two feathers uh, around the world, making uh, a few people feel very uncomfortable if they have very, a very dark history of being perpetrators, potentially, because uh, she's literally been you know, changing the laws, particularly in Tasmania, but also with cascading effects in Australia. Um, so there's probably a few people that don't like this idea that there are you know, strong, uh, strong voices, female or otherwise, uh, who are driving real change and potentially exposing. Perpetrators. So I think there's, you know, there's a there's a lot of unease potentially about this idea of reducing inequalities because some people some people actually like the status quo.
1: I can't I don't know that I can even go there, Anders. Um some people do like the status quo. Uh one of my one of my favorite sayings is um good bad things happen when good people walk past and do nothing. So if you if you actually see some kind of bullying and you walk past it, uh then does that make you any better than the bully um, themselves if you see an injustice, and then we need to be very careful here because calling out what some of these things are requires a judgment, and who's to say whose judgment is right or wrong, but clearly there's things that are clearly wrong in my opinion. I'm just going to qualify that because we're all the product of our perceptions, our our assumptions, our geography, our socioeconomic um, backgrounds, et etc. so our perceptions are what we then decide and define by terminating what's good and what's bad. Um, So if we're going to, and again, the same thing, how do we define an inequality? So I think those people that have experienced inequalities in particular can very much call them out. So I remember um, if I go back, so how did all this start for me? I have a Greek background, but I'm second generation. My dad was actually born um, in Australia and uh, as a Greek female, um that went to school i got very much picked on and bullied and i had some racist teachers and i i had no idea i had a very beautiful warm loving amazing family but i would find myself being thrown up against the school shed um because i had a greek name you know jeracy's greek name so uh, and so for me that that i have this absolute um disdain for bullies uh, disdain may not be the right word because I actually feel sorry for them um, in many regards as well I think we need to understand the psychology of what makes people do things that they do and usually a perpetrator has been abused usually a bully has been bullied uh, but we're here to call that out and break the cycle so many levels of inequality
0: yeah sadly I mean sadly we're all victims of victims right so that cycle needs to be broken yeah
1: so and you see these these kind of things surfacing around you and you know all it takes for bad things to happen is for good people to do nothing so there's another challenge
0: and I think this was maybe the fourth thing we were going to revisit uh, seeing with our augmented uh, memory here whether we got to was it x price was the fourth thing I if I recall about seven minutes ago when we talked about the four things to decode and decipher Uh, just to give a little bit more context tell me if I'm wrong if my memory is un- all
1: I actually don't think it was X Prize, but I remember thinking you were going to say XPRIZE. So oh, X there Prize- you go.
0: Well, we go- <laughs> let's go back to what I actually said.
1: I can't remember what you said, so I'm happy to go with XPRIZE. <laughs> um, but I, I think that we'll just put that down to the excitement of the conversation uh, and just way too many things to talk about, which is sad in a way that there's so many reduced equalities, inequalities. You know, reducing inequalities, there's so much to talk about. Uh, but XPRIZE is an... Is, something that was started by um, Peter Diamandis, Tony Robbins uh, and a few other friends, uh, and they decided to put a whole lot of money into solving the world's greatest challenges and solving the SDGs. Elon Musk recently put 100 mil um, behind, uh, USD behind um, coming up with some solutions for carbon. You know, so th- And the thing with the X Prize is that people often spend, I don't know that they'll spend more than 100 mil, but they often spend more money, trying to achieve the goal um, that has been set than what the prize is. I know that was the the case in the 10 million um, education prize, which actually got distributed amongst a couple of different organisations. You know, they're they're running things around um, ocean conservation. They're running, you know, at one point, one of the X prizes, um, Peter had, they were mapping the bottom of the ocean. And I kind of went, oh, how's that going to, what's that going to do? But what it actually does um, for, for the ocean and ocean conservation is quite remarkable. So Prize is all about, it's very much aligned to the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, um, the, the Global Grand Challenges, uh, but everything has to have social impact. So very much social impact driven. If you haven't um, yet, check them out. Um, you know, also Extreme Tech Challenge. So very tech challenges uh, in how we're going to solve the world's problems.
0: And what are you seeing as some 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 heartening examples of where real changes are happening um you you mentioned the nfts for example or non fungible tokens, which in fact I do think was the the fourth thing uh, we're about to talk about so non fungible tokens out of Ukraine for example uh talk us a little bit about that and then also what other examples are you seeing that are leading to to real um, to real levelling or at least the beginning of some kind of levelling given given some of the grand challenges we'll have around inequality in the world?
1: Firstly, know that, that NFTs have made a difference in the Ukraine, but let me bring it back uh, a little bit closer to non-fungible tokens were very much around um, supporting artists and the creative industries as well. So if you think about it, somebody creates some piece of art they wrote a song, uh, they write a poem, they write a play, they, um, they may perform a, a performance. And once that leaves them, once they've given that, that copyright, once it, it belongs to somebody else, they don't, uh, they don't get the reward um, that potentially something else may uh, may get. So an artist might create a piece of work, someone will create a digital copy of it, and somebody will buy that as an NFT and they will have ownership around that. And people go, yeah, but I can just take a photo of it and it becomes mine. Uh, and, and that's true. You can just take a photo of it and it, it could become yours. But there's something very intrinsic about owning the original, owning, owning what it was in the first place. And the beauty of that is, so if I buy uh, an NFT of an Indigenous artist, which I have, uh, and I then sell that to somebody else part of that profit will go back to the indigenous artist. So every time something gets sold, a small portion of that money will go back to the original artist, which I think is a really amazing way um, to create that sustainability for the creative industries as well. So NFTs, um, they're not my area of expertise, but I do know that they have served community well and they have done a lot to Help reduce those inequalities um, globally, globally and locally. So that's that's an NFT answer. I think another inspiring story outside of Maboba's promise for me is the work that Amanata is doing um, in Sierra Leone. So Sierra Leone, uh, Africa, has a had, has a mortality rate mother so mothers giving birth childbirth mortality rate of one in seventeen. One in 17. They have one midwife for something like 25 million people. And that, for us, where, where we are, again, coming from, you know, Australia, coming from privilege, we really are privileged. And everybody's not privileged in Australia. I feel I'm extremely privileged in Australia. Coming from there, I think it's quite remarkable that people are now aware of this and this is where I think technology actually comes to its fore so many years ago this was still happening actually they've made improvements um in the in the maternal death rate in Sierra Leone over the last 10 years 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we never would have known that this was an issue. We never would have known that um, clean water and sanitation uh, was such an issue in so many different countries. I mean, let's face it, now it's actually uh, an issue in one of the American places because they're getting black water basically out of their taps. So it's, it's now not just um, third world countries, it's happening in countries like the US as well. Clean water and sanitation, such a difference that that can make. Uh, and you, you, clean water, if you don't, if you drink clean water, if you're eating food that's been washed in clean water, you are less likely to get sick. If you're less likely to get sick, it means you can go to work. If you're less likely to get sick as a child, you can go to school. So, you know, the, the whole education process is is propelled because you don't need any sick days because you're having clean water. So things where technology comes in uh, and the awareness of these issues comes in, A, through um, technology as well, the awareness, but also the creation of things like pulling water out of thin air. Uh, and being able to have machines set up in humid areas that will extract the water, so that people have drinking water. There's some very basic innovations that have been made uh, around allowing light into shanties. You know, there's a there's a guy who goes around cutting holes in the tin roofs of shanties, putting kerosene in the bottom of a of a a, a soda bottle putting it in and the light that's reflect reflected refracted is the word i'm actually using for looking for um is then allowing one or two hours extra of daylight so the kids can do their homework just small small changes that have made such a big difference at reducing inequalities
0: yeah because i mean it's needed more so now than than ever before i mean um A few years ago, you had the likes of, you know, Stephen Pinker, Peter Diamandis that you mentioned, you know, Hans Rosling and, and, and you know, a plethora of other thinkers sort of talking about, you know, uh, factfulness and the fact that, you know, we are living in the golden age of at least approaching some level of equality compared to you know several decades ago or several centuries ago in fact you know the world is moving towards being more equitable but then the pandemic happened and certainly there was a bit of a course correction so the statistics from the united nations is that you know the pandemic is actually for the first time uh led to a rise in between country income inequality in a generation. Um five thousand eight hundred and ninety-five migrants lost their lives in twenty twenty-one. We've got one in five people have experienced discrimination or at least one of the grounds prohibited under an international uh human rights law for example i mean what do you make out of this what what's been the impact of the pandemic how do we get back on 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 the right and the ethical equitable course
1: so i think there's been positives and negatives that have come out um, of the pandemic i think you've just highlighted very tragic ones uh, so particularly the loss of migrant lives. You know, people haven't been able to move uh, between borders, but then, on the other hand, some people have moved easily between borders. Uh, and I know there were there were um some immigrants that landed um from Albania in Greece, for example, and the Greeks took them in, fed them, watered them, you know, clothed them, et cetera. so there's there's all these uh, alternate stories that we may not see in in the figures that have been collected. So good and and not so good things. Again there's a judgement in in that but you know clearly nearly 6000 migrants losing their lives is absolutely tragic. I also think that they so we we're very good at highlighting the negatives. Uh, Peter has a whole list. Peter Gemundes has a whole list of things that have improved over the last um, 20, 30, 40 years uh, and how less people are dying, less people are dying from disease etc. You're right, absolutely correct. The pandemic through some of that backwards, but the pandemic also made us aware of mental health issues. We were never so aware, or maybe we were aware, but they were kind of swept under the carpet uh, and now... Stigmatised, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So now we it, it's not so stigmatised. Now we are banding together to help people I have never been asked, "Are you okay?" so many times as I I was a few days ago on September nine when it was "Are you okay?" day um, in Australia. Uh, So I think things like that have been highlighted. The joy that people found in playing music from balconies—you know what was highlighted. So that camaraderie, that didn't—it didn't matter where you were really. Um, There was this sense of community that was happening. So. In areas, the pandemic actually did take us back to this sense of community and listening to each other, talking to each other, interacting with each other. And again, if we didn't have the technology, however, we never would have known what was going on. The technology also allowed for open sourcing around we need to fix this. What can we do? So a lot of the, the pharmaceuticals and, and you know, so there's a whole other debate around vaccines and everything else and, and that's not the purpose of this conversation. But the purpose of this conversation is to say it opened up for collaboration and collaboration is one of the biggest things that's needed to reduce inequalities globally. And it's not only just globally that we need to reduce the inequalities, it's in our own homes, it's in our own communities, it's in our schools and our workplaces. and they don't have to be huge, huge things that we're noticing. they might be they might be something much smaller. So you know SDG number ten reduced inequalities has has you know, seven, eight subcategories. and some of those subcategories themselves, if we make a small dent in in those. And I think what the pandemic has done is, Given an individual a voice, uh, and it's actually celebrated a lot of people for the uniqueness, uh, and said that we can all make a difference, but we don't all have to make a difference like Peter Diamandis or um, you know Rosa Parks. Or although Rosa Parks is another story in in itself, we can all make our small steps to make the world a better place. And there's a there's a beautiful um, New Zealand. Uh, Maori saying, I wish I had actually had it up on a screen so I could have I could have read it. Um, uh, but it's Waka Papa, I, I think is how it's pronounced. And it talks about the legacy that we want to leave behind. And I think if we can focus on the legacy that we want to leave to our children, our children's children, our children's children's children, a lot of the ancient tribes looked forward seven generations, not just to you know the great the grandchildren or the great grandchildren that that you and I might might one day have and or m- might one day um, think that far ahead, but it's it's ahead seven generations. What kind of planet do we want to leave them? What kind of sustainability do we want to leave them? What kind of medical situation do we want to leave them? So always thinking um, in in terms of community, and I think the pandemic helped highlight potentially some of the inequalities around community uh, and has hopefully brought us, I'm an idealist, I'm an optimist, always will be, always have been, but it doesn't mean, I I like to think that I have my head in the clouds, but my feet planted firmly on the ground. And that's why one of my favorite sayings is ideation without execution is hallucination. So we can talk about these things, but if we're not actually actively involved in changing one small thing or two small things or three big things, depending on the energy that you want to put behind it, um, then for me, it's hallucination.
0: So you have this. I mean, you you sort of inhabit this space that I think is really fascinating in terms of you know the intersection between singularity, you the entrepreneurs' organisation, the sense that technology can lead to exponential social impacts around the world, and then of course with a you know a smithering of uh, of uh, UN SDGs in in there in in the middle as well, um, and I think of one of those goals and i think you know the united nations has been quite quite intelligent in the way that it's actually uh, sort of doubled down on the role of technology within this framework that is the united nations sustainable development goals because when it comes to reduced inequality i mean they even point out things like that by 2030 we should be able to reduce to less than three percent the transaction costs of migrant remittances and eliminate remittance corridors with costs higher than 5%. And again, to me, when you mentioned NFTs before, or when we think about the blockchain or new payment technologies, these are all technologies that can actually help democratize access to, to funding, uh, to get people paid for their intellectual property, etc. cetera. Um, have you got any thoughts on that particular sub goal or other technologies that you see making a real impact when it comes to reducing inequalities?
1: I think. Blockchain, I think, Bitcoin uh, and all the other you know Ethereum, all the other coins were actually reaching a point of effectiveness um, prior to the pandemic and then early on in the pandemic, and we were truly looking at it as a or truly looking at them uh, as a as a token for exchange. Uh, I think since the pandemic and the fear. Uh, the insecurity. They potentially have, well, we know they've dropped back. We know their share prices have gone down. Uh, I think the the propensity for change in how we measure things financially um, is super important. We don't do things just for money. And I know in the in the sub-targets of, of um, the SDGs, there is a lot of talk around um, finance and flow uh, or financial flows, etc. cetera. I think the technology actually has the capacity to override a lot of that so one of of my one of the most impactful conversations um that was pointed my way uh, was by a colleague remezna from singularity U. and we were talking about and this is some years ago now three maybe three four years ago now we were talking about the 3d oh sorry cellular grown food so cellular grown eggs um cellular grown milk um, lab grown meat, which I had the opportunity to, to taste. And that's a story in itself that if I remember, I'll share with you as well, because I've been a vegetarian for a long time. Um, but you know, I said to Ramirez, I don't know if I could feed my young children cell grown eggs, cell grown milk. And he looked at me and he said, you're not, you're not the reason they're being developed. And I went, oh, he said, if you're a mother in a third world country, and you knew that this egg held the nutritional capacity that the egg that you could buy at the supermarket—that's not cell grown—that that comes from the chicken, or that this milk that was grown um, in a in a laboratory had the same nutritional capacity and wasn't going to hurt your kids, but was going to feed them. What would you do? Like no brainer, okay? Uh, so I think technology has the capacity to help us reduce. Inequalities in so many different ways. We've already spoken about education, we've spoken about refugees. You know, now we've just touched on on food, we've spoken about clean water. Um, technology has the effect, technology can have an effect on every single one of those S, um, SDGs and help us get to those goals faster. And the other thing is I actually think the pandemic showed us how to cut through a lot of that red tape. So if I go back to your comment about, um, you know, making it easier, let's just call it making it easier for refugees to cross barriers and things like that, we learnt during Covid, that we can cut red tape, we can cut bureaucracy when we absolutely have to and need to. You know, we were dealing with some organisations around medtech, uh, and we were trying to get trying to get this whole thing around um around online uh, consultations because if you're living in outback Australia, by the time you actually get to the doctor, it may actually be too late to treat whatever it is, or you're not even going to go because it's it's too much effort. All of a sudden, telehealth. Was okay during COVID because otherwise places were shutting down, uh, and and I think we came to the realization that we don't need to go through as much bureaucracy as much we do. Usually, a something's been put through bureaucracy and there's been a, a red mark next to it, and you've now got to do ten steps in order to cross that barrier because one person or two people have done something wrong, even though a thousand people may have work the system properly and, you know, contributed and, and done all of that. But we, we make so many rules because one person made a mistake or two people made a mistake rather than teach those people how not to make a mistake rather than, you know, maybe we'd need to double up on the efforts of, of the the whole fraud and cybersecurity and that's a whole other thing as far as um, reduce, reducing inequalities goes. Maybe that's where we need to double down the efforts but we know that things can get cut and we know that technology has the capacity to hasten up feeding the world poor, making sure everyone's got clean water, making, you know, renewable energies. It just drives me insane sometimes the, the conversations around is climate change real, is it not real? You know what? Even if it's not real, let's respect the planet. If you think it's not real, I'm I, not in that basket. I, you know, no way um, actually think that climate change isn't real. Um Let's make changes. Let's let's revere the planet. Well, I mean,
0: the 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 thing here is as well. I mean, like the human factor comes into it. I mean, I've sat and had conversations and um, some dialogues with with people who you know who love eating highly processed meat products like um, you know frankfurters or uh, hot dogs, for example, that come from you know factory farmed animals and have been process to the nth degree uh, express skepticism towards lab-grown meats and I'm kind of going okay well you know what is what is the real difference here and, and sometimes it's just the, the legacy that the, the, you know the status quo the you know the incumbent ideas that actually threaten uh, progress towards the future. Now we're nearly into the final innings here we're going to have a, a few sort of rapid fire question uh, minutes together, Christina, in just a moment. But before we go there, I'd just like to see if there's a particular call to action or some practical things that listeners to our show, both EO members and and future EO members might just want to think about as they start baking into their business models, sustainable development goals, or even how they can get involved uh, in some of their philanthropic work as well.
1: So the first thing I would suggest is that you have a really good look at the Sustainable Development Goals and pick one that stands out to you. Um, The second thing is there's a whole lot of sub-targets attached to those goals. Don't just go, oh, how on earth am I going to solve the world problem around clean water and sanitation? Dig deeper, there might be some tiny little effect that you can make that tiny dent in the universe, that one person that you can provide clean water to, that's going to make it. It might even just be what water you buy, you know, and that you know the background of where the water comes from and where the donations are going, things like that. Um, so dig deep, find something that you're passionate about and then get behind the cause, even if it is just to buy that product, if it is to to talk about it over dinner, if it is to, to make a greater number of people aware of it. What I really enjoy doing, um, we do a lot of work, culture work within organisations, and, and we'll often attribute a value um, to an action. So I don't believe in in just having nouns. Everything has to ha- be verbified, if you like. Um, so find what is happening within your organisation and express that as a verb. As far as the SDGs go, so if it's you know I I I, I don't like bullying. One of the reduced inequalities. Um, you know, let let's not not accept bullying at all in the workplace, don't stand by, have a conversation with somebody, see what it is that you can do about it. So verbify the sub targets of the SDGs, if you like, and take action within the organization. And the other thing that a lot of organizations, a lot of small companies, you know, SMEs, um, EOers won't even be aware that they're doing, although I think EOs, a lot of EOs, are very conscious uh, of, of the actions that they're taking and the SDGs and the impact, the social impact that they want to have. But even if you're not, have a think about what it is that you're doing uh, and align that to something that is SDG, um, you know, integrated. And once you start realizing the small things that you're already doing, it's actually easier to add something else to it. So have the conversations is the big thing.
0: Now I know um, you're writing a book at the moment around success, one failure at a time. So I just like to ask you, what's What's a failure or how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And uh, secondly, do you have a favorite failure of yours that's uh, led to, to your success thus far?
1: So celebrating success one failure at a time is what we're talking about. And it is definitely that. So I actually don't don't believe in the word failure anymore. For me, you know, a bit cliche now, but they are lessons that we learn along the way. And I actually tell um some of the startups that I work with, you're allowed five minutes on the floor in the fetal position, then you got gotta get back up and, and, and start all over again. I think maybe one of my one of my so I, I tell the story at the beginning of the book around um uh, an event I was organizing, and how everything kept falling over. Uh, and I also happened to be reading the Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer at the time. Uh, and I'm and I'm just throwing my hands up all the time, going, I surrender. Like this speaker dropped out. I surrender. The name of the actual event changed. I surrender. Uh, you know, how is this all going to work around? Right. The, the probably 72 hours before the event, one of my clients who was speaking at the event, uh, we were doing some PR work together, rang me and said. I've been offered a spot on the Today Show. It's exactly when you want me to be on the on the um, on the session with you. Uh, I can't. What am I going to do? I said, well, clearly, if I'm your PR advisor, which I'm working with you in this capacity as right now, I'm going to say, go and be on the Today Show. So it was like, okay, what happens now? Anyway, we we kind of got to the to the event itself, and at the exact time that she was going to present um, on television and and come live on, on TV. We actually had the screen set up and we clicked to her straight away. So at the end of the day, you end up where it is that you need to be. Uh, and that's the that's the biggest lesson I've learned from quite a lot of failures. So sometimes when the door blocks, it's the universe going, no, you're not meant to go through this one. There's one opening soon. Uh, and, and so I think that's been my biggest lessons out of failures, which I tend not to call failures anymore. I tend to call them life lessons. Uh, and I think they happen all the time. And parenting is one of the biggest ones. So my mother used to say all the time, um, she'd say, because I said so, because I said so. Because, you know, I was a why, 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 why child? Why can't I? Why can't I do this? Why, why? And she'd go, eventually she'd say, because I said so. And i go, well, I'm never going to say that to my children. Anyway, clearly one day my son's going, why, why, why? And I've gone, because I said so. And I've gone, oh, no. And I think so those kind of understandings give you a fresh understanding of what's come before you and what will also come in front of you. I don't even know if I've answered your question, but...
0: Yeah, I was going to say, as a, as a, as a, as a parent to young ones, what should I answer next time then? So not because I said so, is there, is there a cl- more clever way around that one just for, for all the parents out there?
1: Yeah, so here's my line. I'm a first-timer at this as well. I've never had a 13-year-old daughter, a 15-year-old son, a 4-year-old. I'm a first-timer at this and I am making the best decisions I can through love for you they may not be the decisions that you want me to make but they're the best ones i can how's that it's
0: a nice one yeah final question to you christina and thank thank you so uh so much for a lovely uh chat and um for bringing your passion around this topic around reduced inequalities and of course you can learn much more about the un sdgs and uh the entrepreneurs' organisations, sorry, EO's role within the UNSDGs uh, by Googling EO and United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals as well. Uh, But final bit here, you talked about yourself as an enabler of the enablers. If you had a gigantic billboard that lots and lots of people would be able to see, what would you put on it and why? I would put on it,
1: Open your hearts and minds to all possibilities and to every person that you come across and love unconditionally because that's my North Star. That's my lifelong lesson that I've set for myself is to love unconditionally. Uh, I'm failing. There you go. There's my major failure right there. Uh, I fail at that on a daily basis, but I'm trying super hard um, at that. So if you open your heart and mind to everyone and everything that's possible loving unconditionally and if we do that then we'll have that that respect it doesn't mean that we have to agree with everyone around the world but we will have a mutual respect and understanding and we will hopefully be able to to um respect our differences but not the inequality.
0: Fantastic. Christina, thank you so much for for being on the show. And of course, if you enjoyed Scaling Impact, it would be fantastic. If you're happy to share it with a friend, make sure you subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever your favourite local podcatcher is because that helps the algorithms enjoy the show and of course, help us scale the impact-like conversations like the one we've just had with Christina Uh, Do I say it correctly, Christina?
1: You did a very good job, Anders. (laughs)
0: It's my Swedish, Australian, Greek version. Thank you so much for being on Scaling Impact, Christina. Thank you. And
1: you guys are doing remarkable work. It's wonderful having the SDGs themselves highlighted like this. Thank you so much.
0: Cool. See you in the future. Thank you for tuning in to Scaling Impact. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcatcher and we'd be super grateful if you leave us a great review. For more information about Scaling Impact, the Entrepreneurs Organisation, or our work on sustainable innovation, please check out EO Sydney online. We would appreciate if you can take a moment to share the podcast with a friend or a colleague and help build the movement. We hope that what we learn together on Scaling Impact can help us all build a sustainable future for ourselves and our children. See you in the near future.